0: Peace be with you. Today's scripture passage is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Greetings. If you are a first-time guest, my name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. We are very thankful that you are here. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us today. I pray that you would have your way. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Oh, Lord God of hosts. Even now we pray in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know your favorite movie or what it takes in a movie for you to call it a cinematic masterpiece. But there's a a few elements that make a movie a a masterpiece. That make it something that is memorable and that just lives on. For example, for me, it's cinematography, Uh, having a, a great camera angles, having a great score, having great actors, having a great plot is extremely important. A movie that grips you in the beginning, that keeps you interested in the character development in the middle. And that ends well, where at the ending, you, you, you leave saying, I'm going to remember that feeling. I'm going to remember that close. And there's a lot of movies that do that. For me, it's the movie, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> right, about this guy named Andy who is uh, charged for um, a crime that he didn't commit, a double homicide, and they just develop that character so good, and then you meet Red in the middle, and he's in prison, and, and all of a sudden there's these themes of hope and redemption and, and growth, and, and you're learning things about the prison system, and then it closes with this great reunion, just masterpiece, And the score throughout is powerful. Well, when we look at the book of Hebrews, what we're looking at is a sermonic masterpiece. The preacher in Hebrews has and brought together all of his resources, theological, intellectual. He is, is Holy Spirit inspired and he is shepherding a church that desperately needs shepherding. And this masterpiece has great character development. This masterpiece has a, a great score that we'll talk about at the end. This, this masterpiece has a wonderful beginning, an intriguing middle, in a powerful ending. And today we're going to talk about that ending, or what is called a benediction, which is a prayer of blessing for the road. Now, if you're here today and you're a guest, and this is your first time, um, you're dropping in at the end of a sermon series on a book that we started back in September. But there's good news. And the good news is I'm going to bring you up to speed. Because I believe that this book is a blessing, but also how this book ends is a blessing, especially on Easter Sunday, especially on Resurrection Sunday. And so this sermonic masterpiece starts in the beginning, the first five verses with a beautiful word about Jesus Christ. And in these first five verses, the author is showing us that Jesus is not merely a a man, a prophet, a, a priest, but that Jesus is fully God. In fact, he is God's final revelation of salvation, which means that whoever comes or claims to come in the name of God, if they are not preaching the person and work of Jesus Christ, they are a false prophet. Because God has spoken his final word regarding how to be made right with him through the person and work of Jesus. And then we read in the text that Jesus is the the creator of all things, the ruler of all things, and the sustainer of all things. In fact, these first five verses says that Jesus shares the very same radiance and nature of God the Father, which means that he is fully God. And then he closes this section saying, not only is he fully God, but Jesus made a purification for our sins. He died for our sins and he ascended unto heaven where he is now seated in a position of authority and power at the right hand of God. What a opening. And then you get to the middle of the text and you start getting into the body and then you see that the preacher has three uh, 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 sermon that can be summed up in three words. Jesus is better. The whole book of Hebrews is about him making and articulating this argument that Jesus is better. He starts off with angels and he's like, yo, I know y'all love angels and y'all think angels is special. and Y'all building this whole theology out on angels, but Jesus is better than angels. Moses, Joshua, Jesus is better than Moses and Joshua. Priests, even this mysterious priest named Melchizedek that y'all doing all kind of weird stuff and building your life around. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. And then he goes on to say something that would have really touched him. Not only that, Jesus is better than your tabernacle theology. In fact, the tabernacle all points to the work of Jesus. Jesus is better. And then, y'all, the preacher closes his sermon out with some of the most powerful and poetic verses in all of Scripture. Look at it with me. Verse 21, this blessing for the road, this prayer for the road, this benediction for his people. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. That is his prayer for his church, this church that was tired, this church that was wayward, this church that is saying Jesus plus the Levitical cult, Jesus plus the law, as he has spent all of his energy, all of his theology, everything that he has to try to convince them that Jesus is better after believing that he has done this subject justice. He closed with a prayer, and that prayer is praying two things. And that's my prayer for you this Resurrection Sunday. This prayer is praying that the Lord would equip you with everything good to do his will. And that the Lord will enable you to do what is pleasing in his sight. And here's the, here's the main thing I want you to walk away with today. It's simply this. God has resourced you with everything you need to do his will. God has given you every resource that you need to do his will. And this is what essentially the resurrection teaches us. This is what the resurrection promises us, that God does not leave his children in tombs. That what God brings you to, he is going to bring you through. What God allows you to experience, he is going to equip you and enable you in that experience. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that word. Because just naturally my disposition, the way that I'm I'm, I'm built is to be self-critical and to think that I need more resources to do something. To think that uh, I need more confidence to do something. To think that somehow God has not given me what he has needed, what he has given me for the task that is needed to do. But this message and this benediction is a reminder that God always equips and enables his children to do what they need to do. Someone here today, you feel under-resourced and overwhelmed God has given you, hear me when I say this, God has given you every resource that you need to live a successful life for him in Christ Jesus to that worn-out parent who feels like giving up. God has given you every resource that you need, to that friend, to that, to that uh, a single person, to that spouse who is struggling, to that person whom God has called to a career or a job, and it seems like you are under-resourced and you find yourself overwhelmed. God has given you every resource that you need, every resource that you need to do his will, and to walk pleasing to him. in the same way that God gave Jesus every resource that he needed to complete his task on earth, and he gave him that power to be resurrected from the dead, so has he given that to you. Perhaps you walked in here today and you're just super discouraged and that's something that you don't believe. My prayer is that you would leave believing it. and perhaps this is your first time back in church in, in years or months because you look at Christians and you look at the church and you look at uh, uh, just Christendom as a whole and you are discouraged. I'm so glad that you came today and I can see how that can be discouraging. But I want you to know that Jesus said, upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because God in Christ has given his church everything she needs to fulfill his will. So lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, for the king of glory shall come in. So I want to give you two encouragements, two simple encouragements, and I'm out your way. For when you feel under resourced and overwhelmed two encourage us to remember as we look at this prayer. And the first is to remember that you belong to the God of peace. You belong to the God of peace. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not. The, uh, the, the absence of, of insecurities or the absence of, of drama. Peace, rather, is the presence of Christ. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. God wants his children to have peace. Peace is internal wholeness. It is an eternal calm that is rooted in God, a God who is faithful, And some of us this morning, we came and we are not in a state of peace. We're not in a state of um, interior calmness and wholeness because we believe the lie that God won't rescue us when we are in trouble, that God will leave us in a tomb. We believe the lie that God's favor was for yesterday and not for today. But the Bible teaches us that the God of that we serve as a God of peace. He always brings spiritual rain to drought for his children. He always brings resurrection for his children when it feels like their bones are dry. Psalm 46. The psalmist is right. God is, writes this, God is our refuge and strength, a, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Look at that. God is our refuge and strength. He is a helper. When we meditate on those words, even in the midst of a, a spiritual or physical or emotional earthquake, We can have stability in him. Later on in that same chapter, the writer of the psalm says, be still and know that I am God. I love the CSB version. Even better, it says, stop your fighting. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. God's invitation to you this morning is to remember no matter where you are or what you've done or where you've come from in Christ Jesus, you can have peace. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain for you to rise early. And go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why? For he gives rest. He gives peace to his beloved. Writer of Hebrews has been making that argument throughout from the very beginning of his argument that Jesus Christ is the way of peace. That peace is not obtained through our work's righteousness. That peace is not obtained through our own wisdom and strength. That peace comes when we place our faith in God's crucified, risen, ascended, and seated Savior. Yes. Bible says that He will, not He might, He will give you a peace, Philippians 4, that passeth all understanding. Romans chapter 8, one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible. In fact, if I'm on a island, stranded away from people. And there's one chapter that I could take with me. It's probably going to be Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 8, here is what the Apostle Paul has to say. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And someone in here, you need to hear that today. Hear the Apostle Paul's argument. If God gave you his own son, allowed his own son to die death by crucifixion, to be shamed publicly by the rulers and the authorities of that day, how will he not give you Everything you spiritually need to flourish in him. Amen. Now here's what's fascinating. This word "equipped oh, I just love the Bible. This word "equipped is just, a, it's just a, a great word. It appears in Matthew chapter four, verse 21, and when it appears, it is talking about fishermen who are mending their nets. It also appears in Galatians chapter six as the word "restore." And it's specifically talking in that context, if a brother falls into sin, it says, let them restore, let them equip, let them mend that brother with gentleness. See, here's the thing. God is promising that he will, if he has called you to a task, if he has called you to do something, he will equip, he will mend you. (laughs) will. He will put together your, your spiritual net. He will equip your soul, your hands. He will restore you with whatever you need to do what he has called you to do. And that should give you peace this morning. Well, Pastor Jamal, I, I don't know about that. Sometimes I don't, I don't feel like he's mending me. Well, what should I, I do? You should do three things. One, you You wait. You wait, you be faithful. You go to God as your refuge and your strength and your helper, and you wait. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, Isaiah said. You wait, you wait on him. Notice I said you wait on him. I didn't say wait for him. They that wait on the Lord. We're not waiting for the Lord. The Lord is present with us. We're just waiting on him to manifest his will in our life. You wait on the Lord. And while you wait on the Lord, if that spiritual pegs of your soul is is shaking and moving around a little bit and you feel a, a holy contentment as you're talking to people in community, you know what you do? You walk out on faith. You walk out on faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Sometimes God puts us in situations and circumstances where he allow us to have a, a holy discontentment because he has called us to do something and we probably have missed what he's been calling us to do. So that's when you start talking to people, you start praying, you start seeking the Lord and you step out on faith. Can I bring a witness up this morning? Come here, Moses, let me talk to you on this Easter Sunday. Pastor Jamal, let me tell you the story about how The Lord called me out of Egypt with his people, and it seems that he led us into the wilderness to die. In fact, his people started to cry out against me. They were ready to stone me and to kill me. And then as I was sitting there and crying out to God and praying to God, he spoke to me and he told me to look at what was in my hand. And I looked down and lo and behold, it was a rod that was in my hand. And guess what, Pastor Jamal, what? Well, that rod that was in my hand was the same rod that he used just a few chapters before to confound the wisdom of Pharaoh and his magicians. And he told me to turn around. And so by faith, I turned around and I lifted up that rod and I begin to see those waters split in two and me and his people walk through on dry ground. Perhaps you're in a season right now and peace is evading you and you feel like you are under-resourced and overwhelmed. Wait, walk or, or walk out on faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And the God of peace will be with you. And he'll give you a peace that passeth all understanding. Or he'll give you sufficient grace. That's what Paul cried out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It seemed like he did not have peace because there was a thorn that was in his side. And the Bible says that he prayed three times, Lord, please take this thorn from my side. And looking back, He was able to appreciate what God did. Paul says, but God took me into the third heaven. And while I was there, I heard him say, my grace is sufficient for you. Of Hebrews essentially is writing to this church after pinning this powerful letter, the sermonic masterpiece. And he's saying, Listen, y'all, my prayer for y'all is at the end of this service that you will realize that God has equipped you for everything that you need, that He is also the God of peace. So, wow. While you struggle, while you're being mended, remember to wait. Remember to walk out on faith and remember that my grace is sufficient. And second and last, remember that you belong to the God of resurrection power. This Easter, you know it was coming. Amen. Remember that you belong to the God of resurrection power. Verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought up From the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I love this passage here and I love this closing. I wish I had time to take you back through Hebrews. And maybe that's something that you can do in the upcoming weeks. Just read Hebrews and underline every time he says, our resurrected Lord. To the writer of Hebrews, the resurrection was central. And we see so much so that the preacher is encouraging them and he's saying, listen, if you are going to continue to persevere to the end, it is because you understand that you are enabled by a resurrected Savior. This word for resurrected is an unusual word. It's not the word that we normally see or the verb that we normally see when it speaks of Jesus being raised from the dead or someone being raised from the dead. And the CSB is translated as brought up or some translations say who was led up from the dead. And I think this is intentional because it, it kind of paints us or puts us into this the story arc that we see throughout the book of Hebrews. And it's this picture of Jesus who suffers and who dies, who comes down from heaven to suffer and to die for his people. And he is led up. From the grave, he ascends unto heaven where he goes into heaven's throne room and he is seated on the right hand of God. But according to the preacher's theology here in Hebrews, he is not led up by himself. He is taking with him his brothers and sisters. They are led up with them and they come into the throne room and they're able to do so with boldness because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for their sins. And Jesus is their great high priest. And that same power that enabled Jesus to travel down 42 generations, that same power that allowed divinity to be couched in a woman's womb, that same power that allowed her to give birth to this perfect God, the same power that allowed him to go sinless for 33 years, that same power that took him to Golgotha and allowed him to absorb all God's holy wrath, that same power that allowed his body to be decomposed for three days and to be wrapped in and linen and, and bust out from that decomposition and bust out from that lemon, that same power that allowed his blood to start flowing again, his heart to start beeping, beating again, and that same power that allowed him to get up off where he lay and walk out of that tomb. Listen to this, is indwelling you. Now, here's the reason we, 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 we couldn't shout there is because we, many of us don't believe it. And we don't believe it because we don't feel it. But feelings are great indicators, but horrible dictators. But it's indwelling you. Oh, you don't believe me, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to call some more people to the, to the stand and to the, to the witness stand. I won't have Paul talk to you because that weirded some of y'all are out, but it says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you. Work out your salvation. Strive. We strive. God is not against effort. When it comes to salvation, he is against us believing that we can earn it. But we strive. But listen, we strive not in our own strength. We strive knowing that God is working in us. And what is he working in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure? Second Peter chapter one, verse three, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's a JSV version, Jamal Hood version, standard version, (laughs) has given us everything that we need. His power is indwelling you. And is working in you even when you don't feel like it. His power is enabling you to be a faithful husband. His power is enabling you to continue to persevere. His power is enabling you to parent. His power is enabling you to show up to work and to be faithful even when it doesn't feel like it's bearing fruit. His power is enabling you to be a caretaker even though you are tired. His power Does enable you to be faithful even though your circumstances aren't what you hoped for or wished for. His power—it's His power. I'm sure Paul sometimes didn't feel like it was His power working. Paul going in a city, preach the gospel, get stoned, and then have to get right back up again, and probably didn't feel like he was being effective. But His power was working even through Paul as a imperfect vessel. Back on February 8th, a preacher, after he had finished preaching, text his wife this message, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. Two weeks later, what happened will forever be etched in Christian history. As a revival broke out at Asbury Seminary, he thought that his sermon stunk up the place. (laughs) But God used that sermon to spark something that would touch people around the world. I went back and I watched the sermon and it was just a a short, simple, beautiful message on the love of God and how his love compels us to persevere and to love people. And he prayed two things at the start of his sermon. He prayed one. He said, I hope and I pray that when I'm done, you all will forget me because Jesus has shown up. And two, I pray that God will revive you today. And he left and said, latest stinker." Be home, song. Listen to me, beloved. I'm about to take my seat. Listen to me. God has given you every single resource you need in Christ Jesus to live out his will for your life. In Christ, you may feel like you are throwing up some stinkers, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit can take those stinkers and he can raise up people for his glory. The resurrection reminds us that God powerfully works in and through his people and he is in the business of taking things that look dead and bringing life to it. So leave here confident in Jesus that your good works is not in vain. Leave here confident in Jesus that he is at work in you and through you. Leave here confident that you are his workmanship. You are his poema. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he has created you with a purpose and with good works. And by his grace, you will fulfill those good works because it's not your power. It's not your intellect. It's not your ability. It's not your strength that's going to make a difference. It's his power. It's his strength. And it's his intellect, which oftentimes looks foolish to the world. God said, I'll take the foolish things of this world and I'll confound the wise. I'll take your struggle. I'll take your doubt. I'll take your insecurities. I'll take you feeling defeated and I'll use it for my glory. This is what the cross and the resurrection teaches us. And we see in this text that part of us receiving this prayer is believing. Look at the text that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And I think God's invitation to some of us here today is to imagine and to realize that we are sheep. We're sheep. We're sheep. That's all God wants you to be is his sheep or his children. He's not asking you to be grown, he's not asking you to be sophisticated. He's asking you to be his sheep. And to let him be your shepherd. I love what it says, the great shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, listen, I am the good shepherd. Why are you the good shepherd, Jesus? Because I lay down my life for my sheep. But look here, the right of Hebrews then took Jesus from good to great. Because he's reflecting on who he is as as the one who makes purification for his people's sin, as the one who ascended unto heaven with all power and who is seated on the right-hand side of the Father. He's able to call him great shepherd because he's experienced his protection. He's experienced his kindness. He's experienced his provision. He experienced that Jesus is faithful to bring him to safety. you believe that he's a great shepherd has he been good to you has he provided for you has he made a way for you has he ever lifted up your bowed down head has he ever worked in you in ways that were supernatural when you think it is no way that that God could have made something good come out of that has he been kind to you has he been faithful to you Has he put food on your table? Has he put clothes on your back? Is he a way out of no way? He's the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is faithful. And the Bible says that in his blood, an eternal covenant has been made. I like that eternal covenant. Because when I said my vows to my wife, I said, till death do me part. But Jesus takes it a step farther. and said, no, not even till death do you part. I've got an eternal covenant. When you die, you will rise again. Still going to be married to you. Still going to be my boo. We serve a great shepherd. If you believe we serve a great shepherd, can you just stand to your feet with me and give him a clap of praise? Could you, could you just praise him for his peace? Could you just praise Him for His power? Come on, could you just praise Him for His mercy? Could someone just shout, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being good to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being faithful to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being kind to me. Thank you, Jesus, that the tomb could not hold you. And because it could not hold you, it won't hold me. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way out of no way for being a mind regulator. Thank you, Jesus, for being the great I am. That balm in Gilead. Thank you, Jesus, for food on my table. Thank you, Jesus, for taking me through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you, Jesus, for being a mind regulator. Thank you, Jesus, for being my joy. Some of us, we would have lost our mind if it had not been for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving me over to my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me community. Thank you, Jesus, that when others gave up on me, you didn't give up on me. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. And that's the message today, dear children, is that God loves you. And in Christ, he is writing a masterpiece with your life. Your life has a a beginning. God created every single one of you for his purpose. He knew you. In Christ, in your mother's womb, you are not a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's just like every masterpiece, that middle, there's always a tension, there's always a conflict in the story, there's, there's always something that is happening where you think, is this worth it? Will I win? Will I make it? And in Christ, you will make it. And you have a wonderful ending waiting for you. One day, you will defeat death through his power. One day, you will rise anew. One day, you and I will stand before the throne of God and people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. One day, we will all look and say, we made it because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We made it because Jesus was faithful. And we will sing with him a new song, and we will look back and say, look at this masterpiece that God has created to him, to Jesus be the glory forever and ever. night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Listen to this. It was shed for you. He took bread. Pop, broke it. God is doing the same thing in your life. He has blessed you and he breaks us all. And then he multiplies the good out of our brokenness for his glory. Every week we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this not just to remember what he did on the cross, but also with confidence knowing that one day we will eat together in his presence. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but our prayer is that you would take Jesus. The world is preaching a sermon. Satan is preaching a sermon to you, but at the end of that sermon is death. At the end of their sermon is YOLO. You only live once. Get all you can now. And if this, what we are experiencing and living right now is heaven, if this is it, then that's depressing. But God in Jesus is preaching another sermon. And he's inviting you into that grand story of redemption. And perhaps he's calling you today to trust him. We want to invite you to do so. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front. Those of you in the middle, you can come to the middle. Those in the back, you can go to the back to take communion. Gluten-free communion is up here as well. Let's feast.